Challenge Horizon Church online. I am delighted that you're worshiping with us today. And we're all online today because our in-person services have been canceled due to snow. So if you're in the Philly area, I hope that you're warm and safe today. And above all, I hope today's service encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump in. not think about it when you think about the Bible, but the biblical authors were kind of obsessed with trees. That's right. For whatever reason, the Bible is full of references to trees. There's over 36 different varieties mentioned in scripture. There's over 4,500 different references to trees throughout the story of the Bible. Now, today we're going to be introduced to two iconic trees 
from the Bible, the tree of life, and the tree of knowing good from bad. Over the last few weeks, we've been doing a study on Genesis 1 through 3, and we've been looking at how this book really answers questions that the original audience, ancient Israelites who escaped 400 years of Egyptian slavery, what they were asking about their origins, uh, but it doesn't necessarily answer our modern questions, and we have to be careful about bringing our modern questions to the text. But I do believe the text tells us something about who God is and who we are, and I think that can continue to inspire us today. Now, I want to jump right into our passage and start talking about some of these things. In Genesis 2, verses 4 through 17, it says, These are the records of the heavens and the earth concerning their creation. At the time that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, no shrub of the field had yet grown on the land, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted. For the Lord God had not made it rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. But mist would come from the earth and water all the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden to the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. And the Lord God caused to grow out of the ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river went out from Eden to water the garden. From there it divided and became the source of four rivers. And the name of the first is the Pishon, which flows through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. Gold from that land is very pure. Bedellum and Onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon, which flows throughout the entire land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which runs east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and formed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now this passage starts with a quick refresher, right? Like back at the beginning, these are the records of the heavens and the earth, of the lands and the sky. And then it begins to jump into closer detail on this one particular moment of creation. Now, notice in this narrative here, it's unclear what day this is. That's not important to the author, author apparently. Now, did plants come first, like it says in chapter one, or is it more like what happened here in chapter two, where it says there were no plants, God created a man, and then he planted a garden and put the man in the garden. I, I don't think the author is concerned as much about the timeline as he is the characters in the story. And that's what he really focuses in on. One of those important characters is found in verse 4, where we find for the first time ever in the Bible the name of God. In chapter 1, over and over again, it says, The Elohim uh, spoke and the world was created. The Elohim did this. The Elohim. The Elohim. And then in chapter 2, we get the name of this Elohim. And you say, where's that, Alex? You'll notice in verse 4, and over and over again, it say the Lord God. Anytime you're reading through the Old Testament and you see the Lord God, that's a placeholder for the name of God. Yahweh is his name. Um, what is written out in Hebrew, they made a decision. The name of God was too holy to speak. And so they began to use placeholders like Lord or Master, Supreme One, God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. These are all phrases they would use instead of saying 
his name. And so when we translated it into English, we kept that, we respected that, and we used these titles instead of writing out his name. But this gives us the name of the God doing all this. His name is Yahweh. Now, we're going to get to find out some details about him, not only his name, but some of the characteristics of him and some of the unique steps that he took in creation. So as the story goes on here, there was this heavy mist along the ground and God formed man from the ground and he breathed the breath of life into him. The man, mankind was made from the land and yet God put in him some of the transcendence of the sky. He was made of the very substance of earth and yet he was given breath from heaven. Now, if we skip back to Genesis 1 verse 2, that we looked at a few weeks ago, it says the spirit of God hovered over the waters before the act of creation. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, ruach, and it literally means wind or breath. So breathe in with me, hold your breath, and then let it out into your hand. You feel that? That's your ruach, your life's breath. That is your life's breath, your spirit. Now, God breathed his life breath into us when he made humanity. We're animated by his divine breath. And there's some fun wordplay going on here because the word for man, as we talked about a few weeks ago in the Hebrew, is Adam, Adam. And then the word for ground in Hebrew is Adame. So Adam comes from Adame. Adam comes from dirt. Dirt man comes from dirt. It's kind of like saying... Mud boy from mud, you know, like next time you're feeling a little too high and mighty, just look in the mirror and remind yourself, I'm a mud boy. Like, <laughs> like I was made from the dirt, from the wet ground because there was this mist and God formed this body out of dirt. Earthling means that we are literally made from the dirt of earth. God didn't speak us into existence. What does the text say? He carved out the mud. He carved out the dirt and he breathed into us the spark of life. We're made in the image of God, as we talked about a few weeks ago, and yet we're made of the cheapest resource on earth. There's this real contrast between, uh, in some ways, we are so grand because God has made us in his image to serve in His uh, as his representatives, and then at the same time, we're made of this cheap material that's just earth itself. Now, the next thing that I find fascinating here is that the text tells us that God was a gardener. Now, when I think of God, I often think of him as powerful or intelligent or as wise. I don't often think about him gardening. Um, God with a big sun hat and a trowel in his hand, you know, and dirt under his fingernails, that's just not the picture of God that comes into my mind most of the time. And yet, this is one of the first pictures we have of Yahweh in the Bible, is him as a gardener creating a garden. Often, if I'm just honest, I don't usually imagine God as being as relaxed as gardening requires. Gardening requires a lot of patience. I've done a little bit of it around the community and at work, and I've worked with some people who are master gardeners and have been part of uh, uh, Philadelphia flower shows, and they really know what they're doing. And they have such a patience and such a presence of just stillness as they they carefully examine the plant and they know right where to prune it and they, they know right where to dig and they're careful and they're gentle and everything takes time and you plant something and it takes a long time to grow. When the Apostle Paul describes what the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God, will produce in the students of Jesus 
in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, this is what he says. But the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the Ruach of God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Ruach of God in us makes us patient like a gardener. But I also think this is interesting because gardens were the art installations of the ancient world. They didn't have art museums. They had gardens. That was the place people would go to see beauty and to curate beauty. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world were the hanging gardens of Babylon. Gardens were the way that ancient people curated beauty. I think verse 9 is simply telling us that God is also an artist. He's both a gardener and an artist. At the art center where I work, we have an exhibitionist, and her job is to curate pieces in an art show to arrange them and stage them in such a fashion so that she can maximize the impact of each piece. She can guide the human eye so that they can enjoy the most beauty from the art exhibition. Now, I believe that God stages people and places and events to curate beauty in our world. And I think the things that you love best, the, the things that you enjoy best in your life have been curated into your life by an artistic God that loves you. Now, in with all the flowers and the vines and the bushes, the text tells us there were these beautiful fruit trees that served as food. They looked good and were good for you. Unlike kale, which looks bad, but somehow is good for you, and unlike cake, which looks amazing, but is really bad for you, these fruit trees were things that looked good and were good. And so God plants this garden in Eden, and in Hebrew, Eden means plain. If we have any Minecraft players out there, you always try to find the flat place to build, right? This is exactly what God did. He built his garden on a flat place, on a plain. It was level. It was a good place for building. And that's where he built the Garden of Eden. But it's also clever wordplay because in Hebrew, Eden, Eden instead of Eden, means delight or pleasure. And so Eden was built on a plain, so it was called Eden. But it also sounds like Aden, which it means delight or pleasure. It's a place of pleasure. Now, some scholars have tried to find the location of Eden because we have all these um, strange details about the location given in the text. While there is still a Tigris and Euphrates River in the nation of Iraq today, uh, the rivers don't flow in any way that corresponds to this text. And you know what? Honestly, rivers change direction over time. If there's a worldwide flood, that'll change the direction rivers are flowing. And sometimes people will move from one geography to another, and they'll rename rivers after the place they came from. And so no one thinks that this text is really trying to clue us in to the original starting location of mankind. Instead, the text seems to be trying to paint for us a vivid picture of what being in Eden was actually like. And so I'm going to ask, just close your eyes for a minute and try to imagine this. It was a place full of beautiful plants and fruit trees. Rivers flowed through it and around it. Everywhere you went, you probably heard the rivers and the streams and the waterfalls, the call of birds and animals. There was a heavy mist from the ground. The land was saturated with gold and sweet-smelling tree resin. And in the middle of the garden were two distinct trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowing good from bad. You can open your eyes. Like, just think about that picture for a minute. What a beautiful place. While we talk, while we're going to talk about the tree of knowing good from bad 
in a few weeks. We're going to talk about it a lot and really delve into it. I want to take just a moment to talk about the tree of life today. Most scholars think the tree itself is an archetype, a stand-in for the life-giving presence of God himself. Every instance of life in Genesis 1 through 3 happens as a direct result of God's actions. The tree of life, most scholars believe, is actually just a symbol of God's presence and continued life force being pumped into the world. We're in this same passage, right? God breathes the breath of life into humanity. And most scholars think the tree of life is like this representation of his presence there in the garden with the humans. Living in close proximity to God means you live an abundant life because you are close to the source of all life. Or as Jesus said, I came near to you so that you might have life and life to the full. So God planted a garden. He put man in the garden. He was there in some form, whether it was representative by a tree or his actual presence. God is always designing spaces to live and work close together with humanity. The garden's the first one, but the Bible is actually filled with God designing meeting places to meet with and live in community and harmony with humans. Um, Moses met God at a burning tree, and God said, this is a holy place. Take off your shoes. If you're going to approach me, you're going to approach me in my space. You're going to do it under my terms. And then there was the tabernacle that the Israelites worshiped God in. It was a traveling tent carefully crafted by instructions from God. And it had this inner space where he would meet with his people. And in the inner space, there was a wooden box covered with gold where his presence would show up. And then the temple became a stable, permanent meeting place for God to dwell in the city of David, Jerusalem, with his people. And it had this innermost court called the Holy of Holies. And once again, this box of wood and gold sat in the middle of that. And once a year, the high priest would come past this heavy veil and he would enter in past carvings of fruit trees and past angel carvings. And he would enter into the space to meet with God. And then there was the cross. Jesus died on a tree to tear down the barrier between God and mankind. There'd be no more separation, no more inner space, outer space. Everyone could come and approach God. And then the New Testament tells us that the students of Jesus become this new special meeting place between God and mankind. Now God wants to come and make a garden in us. Instead of placing us in a garden, he wants to place a garden in us. By becoming students of Jesus, we welcome the Ruach, the Spirit of God, into our lives, into our very bodies. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you realize that you are the temple of God and that God, that the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God lives in you? There is a new Eden space right in the middle of you, right in the middle of me, a new meeting place between heaven and earth in you and in me. God wants to meet with you right where you are. He wants to delight in who you are and he wants you to delight in who he is. I just want to end this morning by reading a paraphrase of what Jesus said in John 15 verses 1 through 8. I am the trunk of the tree of life. My father is the gardener. He prunes every branch in me that bears no fruit. He prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they might be even more fruitful. Stay connected to me as I stay connected to you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must be connected to the tree. You cannot bear fruit unless you stay closely connected to me. I am the trunk. 
you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you cannot do anything. It brings my father, the gardener, glory when you bear much fruit, showing yourself to truly be students of the way I lived and loved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the story of you as a gardener and as an artist. Thank you for creating gardens in us so that we can live and dwell in community with you. Lord, if there's anyone who feels far away from God, I pray that they'll cry out today, that they'll accept your invitation to come and plant an Eden in them, a place of harmony and peace where you want to live with them and delight in them and allow them to know and love and delight in you. Amen. These are your announcements for February 7th. If you're a first-time visitor, we are so glad that you joined us this morning. In your honor, Horizon Community Church donates $25 to Compassion International. You can find out more on their website at Compassion.com. During the month of February, we will be collecting non-perishable food items for Eldernet's Food Pantry. On February 27th, we will deliver and help stock their shelves. If you would like to give to support the work of Horizon Community Church, you can do so by giving online at horizonphilly.com give or via Venmo or PayPal. Please join us on February 14th for in-person services. We would love to see you there. If you have any questions or if we can serve you in any way, please reach out at connect at horizonphilly.com or text or call 484-380-5833. Please join us for our weekly Wednesday prayer call at 6 via Zoom. May the seed that the Spirit planted within you bloom into a beautiful harvest this week.